Welcome to Flatten the Curve, a podcast that looks at the impact of the coronavirus on life in Wales. We'll be sharing our thoughts, but more importantly, we'll be hearing from the experts and those whose lives have been most affected and disrupted. Together, we'll unpick our way through the science and try to better understand the weeks and months ahead. From Wuhan to Wales and everything in between, this is the podcast to take on the pandemic. Welcome everyone to the first episode of Flatten the Curve. I'm Jacob Ellis. And I'm Hugh Cook. This is it. This is the first episode here. We have been planning this for quite some time, but let's paint the picture for our listeners because the one thing we should point out before we begin is that we're not in the same room. We are doing our bit of social distancing. Um, Where are you? Paint the picture for us. So I am currently sat at home next to a very disgruntled cat. Um, He's been very upset that he's had two humans in his day space for the past week. Um, so I've been working from home for the last week, um, self-isolating, making sure I'm reducing the amount of journeys that I'm making unnecessarily. Um, so it's been an interesting one because I've turned my bedroom into an, an official conference room. So all of my Skype calls, all of my very important meetings with very important people have all been taking place while I've been sat on a duvet, which is quite different to my usual setup. Um, so uh, what about you, Jack? Well, I have the great luxury of looking over the Taff River here in Cardiff. Um, I've turned into a little bit of a David Attenborough um, myself over the last couple of weeks, spotting the different nature um, and wildlife that's uh, appearing uh, in and on the river. And crossing my fingers, as we've seen in Venice, that we've seen some uh, dolphins appear, haven't we, in, in the in the waters around Venice. I'm hoping at some point we'll start to see some sea life, uh, some exciting sea life in in the Taft River, but that's probably not going to happen, but one can dream. Um, So yes, we're doing our bit of social distancing. All our guests will be be, uh, joining us remotely um, in order for us to follow uh, the guidance and the advice that's been given. Uh, But Hugh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, This is the first project that we're working on together. Um, But tell the listeners a little bit about you. Yes, so my name is Hugh Cook and I'm a communications officer at Public Health Wales. Um, So for those of you who don't know, Public Health Wales is the official health body for Wales. Um, So health is a devolved matter and Public Health Wales leads on all of the health messaging in Wales. It's been a very interesting few weeks and kind of right in the centre of all of the coronavirus action. Um, it's been an intense few weeks, especially as it's my first couple of weeks in the actual business. Um, so it's oh, welcome to your new job. It has been a baptism of fire, yeah. But um, great way to meet lots of interesting people in a very short space of time. Obviously, there's been no handshakes, <laughs> um, but there has been lots of smiling, friendly faces, and now lots of smiley, friendly messages online as well, um, which is a great way to kind of continue that support. But um, Yeah, it's been a really interesting few weeks and I work on a particular project as well called SHARP. Uh, So SHARP is a joint action that's funded by the European Commission and it stands for Strengthening International Health Regulation and Preparedness, and which in a nutshell is all about responding to things like coronavirus. So it looks at how countries across Europe, whether that's people in the European Union or neighbouring countries that are kind of lower GNI, and it's looking at how prepared they are and how they can work together collaboratively to face these sorts of pandemics. So very timely uh, kind of things going on, very interesting links into my work, uh, both internationally and at Public Health Wales. 
but yes, lots of things learnt in a very short space of time. I've done a lot of reading over the past couple of weeks, as you can imagine. <laughs> I'm just so pleased as a, a co-host to you that you've got all the answers uh, and I get the privilege of just sitting back and asking the right questions, hopefully. Well, hopefully as well. I'm sure your background um, will help with that. Um, so tell us a bit about yourself, Jack. That's why I'm a former journalist to begin with, so I'll hopefully be asking the uh, fair questions uh, to you and to our guests as we uh, develop through, through the podcast. But currently I am uh, working for the Future Generations Commissioner for Wales as a change maker. Don't ask me to give you a definition of what a change maker is. Maybe we can tease that one out over the next couple of uh, couple of weeks. Um, so on a daily basis, I get to think about the future and I get to advise public bodies in Wales to make them think about the different challenges they're facing today, but also about those long-term trends and challenges they'll be facing us in potentially 20, 30, 40 years' time. And I know that thinking about the long-term, thinking about the future, even at this period during this crisis, it's something that's at the forefront of all our public bodies' minds. And um, we can also talk about that, I think, over the next couple of weeks, about how we think about different emergencies, how we think about different ways of working as well. And that's one of the things that uh, our office is advising, is very comfortable doing at the moment, which is working at home. We have different policies in work that mean that we get to work from anywhere, anytime. And I think the way that we view work and view, view business over the next couple of weeks is really going to change. I think for businesses who are used to working behind desks or traveling um, in their cars to, to their offices, um, they're going to start to think that there's a, a different way of doing business and hopefully for the better. Pushing that aside, who uh, tell us a little bit about the mood in public health Wales at the moment. You know, you're right in the middle of it. You've got all these different questions and all the advice that's coming through. Give us an insight into the world of public health Wales at the moment. I suppose not to sound cheesy, I think the mood would be solidarity is kind of the key, the key word that we're playing on at the moment. Um, as I said, as a new as somebody new coming into the business, it's been inspiring to see the way everyone's worked together. And I think every day is a new challenge. Um, almost every hour becomes a new challenge with the rate of changing information. But I think everyone pulling together is what's getting us through this. And I think, you know, there's lots of hurdles to jump and um, lots of areas that we have to think about in terms of our responses. So, you know, it's kind of the responses to the elderly, it's the policy responses and how that works with the public health. Um, so this, you know, we're being pulled in different areas um, all over the place, and it's just how we come together as a team to do that, and just really kind of, you know, hit those milestones. And that seems to be the message, isn't it, about solidarity from our public bodies, but also from the private sector, voluntary organisations, and indeed across our communities. And it's the one message that I'm seeing constantly online on our social media. Um, is about that solidarity that we can get through this if we only work together and we're doing this together um, in order to get through to the other side um, uh, and to um, move on from from this from this crisis. Absolutely and I think you know when you think of health it's such a broad spectrum and actually I think this is where our two worlds collide because if you create healthy places, cohesive communities, they help foster healthy happy people and if we can kind of unite those and actually kind of get that solidarity in there and get people working together that's how we defeat this thing so hopefully as we cover various topics over the coming weeks hopefully that will help bring more people together and hopefully people can join the conversation online as well and um, so lovely little segue here you can follow us on twitter 
at curve underscore podcast uh, with a hashtag hashtag flatten the curve podcast there we go hopefully our followers will will now increase thanks to that for that plug Hugh um what have we got over the next couple of weeks give us an insight Hugh into some of the areas that we'll be covering because we could have chosen lots and lots of different areas um we've had to, we don't know how long this thing is going to go on for do we but we have chosen some areas to to look at Hugh give us an insight into some of those Yes, we've got lots of exciting things coming up over the next few weeks. Um, what we thought we'd do, we'd start with the science of it all this week. So we've got a very exciting guest who we'll hear more about shortly. But she's going to be breaking down all of that jargon and help us understand some of those really complex and often confusing terms. And um, so once we've got that kind of nailed down, what we're then going to be doing is looking at in the broader context. So how is it affecting, affecting us culturally, socially, economically? Um, we'll be looking at the arts and culture sides of things, sports and events. Um, how is it affecting our young people? How is it affecting our older people? Um, what impact is it having on businesses across Wales, both small and large? And more importantly, how is it affecting the communities? Because it's all about community here. How are people being affected on a local level? And what does that mean for the wider approaches we're taking in Wales? So plenty of different topics there. Uh, something for for everyone's taste. Um, we would welcome any thoughts and any stories and any questions you may have. Um, so he mentioned the hashtag earlier on. So hashtag Flatten the Curve podcast. Let us know your views on those topics and we'll make sure that we cover them uh, over the next couple of weeks. So before we move on to our first guest, where we will dive into the science and the advice and the current update around the coronavirus here in Wales, Anything caught your eye this week here on the news or in social media? What's at the forefront of your mind? I think what I've enjoyed seeing the most, um, which kind of really stands out from all of the kind of negative, kind of confusing language that's taking place at the moment online, what's been really nice to see is all of these just nice kind of artsy kind of music posts that people are putting up. So there's lots of people playing instruments, singing songs, um, kind of changing lyrics to different songs, which has been really nice to see because it's nice fun, happy, playful content, which I think is going to do really wonderful things for people's mental health and well-being while they're staying at home. So hopefully we're going to see lots more of that as the weeks go by, because I think it's going to have a really great impact on people as they're stuck at home. No, I think you're right there. I think one of the issues that we have to, uh, that we have to face during this time is the negativity that we've seen um, across uh, our social medias around this issue, the fear, the anxiety, all things that are really, really important for us to address but somewhere in amongst all that, there are positives. And we've got to remind ourselves of those to smile, to remember that this is just going to be a, a short thing and that we've got to see the positives at the end um, of it all as well. And I, I just recall one story this week um, of all our nurses and, and all those NHS staff who have been able to go to the supermarket early. And I know there's lots of problems at the moment and lots of issues at supermarkets with people panic buying and unnecessarily doing so and, and worrying about stocks. But we all know that, that we don't need to worry about all that. But I do appreciate the supermarkets that are taking taking this seriously and you know taking their social responsibility that extra bit further by saying, do you know what, we're only gonna, we're gonna open uh, early for NHS staff. And also we've seen other supermarkets do that for vulnerable um, people as well and the elderly as well so little things that just remind us of our solidarity you used it earlier that word earlier uh, and about, about our role in society when it comes to thinking about others and hopefully over the next couple of weeks during this podcast and 
the different themes that we that we discuss, we can keep reminding our listeners um, that the one thing that's really important in all this is our sense of community and and how we support each other through through this time. So that's one thing. The big clap to all our supermarkets um, that are doing positive work, and indeed to all our NHS staff as well. But that's enough about us. Our listeners want to learn something from the So, experts. yes, it's time to bring in our clinical expert. Um, so we have Miss Catherine Moore, um, consultant clinical scientist at Public Health Wales, based in Cardiff and Vale University Health Board. Catherine, interesting fact, is actually the person who helped design the coronavirus test for Wales. Um, but that's enough from me about Catherine. Let's hear it from the woman herself. Welcome to the podcast, Catherine. Hi, thanks for inviting me. So how's life changed for you? I mean, you've been at the, the forefront of all this. How, how's life in coronavirus land for you? Uh, it's incredibly hectic. Um, we, we're kind of thinking about timing it in, in months when, in fact, it's actually been days. Everything is changing um, from one minute to the next minute. I work in the uh, laboratory, so we're the um, vaccine staff, as it were, but we're actually producing most of the um, results and testing uh, for well, all of Wales at the moment. Um, we're testing numbers that are unprecedented for us in terms of any outbreak that we've ever dealt with. Um, we're having to use equipment that we wouldn't have normally used for this scenario, so we're bringing online um, you know, systems that you wouldn't normally use for this um, part, type of testing. So we're all learning things, all new things um, all the time. We're testing hundreds of samples a day, um, and this involves, you know, lots of people, hands on deck. You know, everybody is getting involved to um, to do the testing. Uh, it does mean that we're not able to, um, you know, do the two meter you know, rule that the, the government are, are doing. We're working side by side just simply to get through the numbers. Um, and this does cause, you know, some some stress for the staff. They are concerned, you know, about catching infection. You know, we're working extended hours in the lab. We're probably going to be working 24-7 to get these tests out so that people can be assured in, in the community. But we, we're often hidden. We're not seen. Um, and I just want to sort of highlight that actually, you know, the biomedical scientists, the support workers, the clinical scientists all in the labs at the moment are working through incredibly tough and challenging times. Thank you, Catherine. On behalf of Flatten the Curve, um, for everything that you're doing, you're not hidden in our eyes. So thank you so much for, for everything you're doing and, and sacrificing your your evenings, your weekends, and all those hours that, you, that you're putting in, um, in, in into this. It'll be worth it, I'm sure, in the end, and we're very, very grateful. So, um, Catherine, there's a lot of information out there online, lots of confusing, conflicting things. And I think... Let's let's take it back to the basics. What is COVID-19? Okay, so uh, COVID-19, interestingly, because we in virology land like to give everything acronyms and cut things down. So COVID-19 actually stands for coronavirus disease. So the COVID is the corona and the vibe is the virus and D is the disease. And the 19 refers to the year that we first um, identified it. So it's coronavirus disease called COVID. Now, coronavirus disease is caused by a coronavirus um, called coronavirus SARS-2. 
And that's because it's related to uh, a SARS virus, which emerged um, back in 2003, which caused uh, an epidemic reasonably globally, um, which we managed to get under control um, fairly quickly. Um, and that is now called SARS-1. Now, SARS itself is also an acronym um, because we really, really like them. And that stands for Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome. So it's Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome Virus, which is a coronavirus. And this is genetically similar to the first one that we had in 2003, but different enough for us to classify it as, as a, a second virus. So it's SARS-2. And that's so we're kind of getting used to now calling it SARS-2. So SARS-2 causes COVID-19. That is so simple. Do you know, all these acronyms, I'm just, I need to start a book somewhere with all these acronyms in them. Um, can you, Catherine, give us an, an explanation as to why we don't call things swine flu or bird flu? Why, why doesn't this one, this particular virus, have a, a name attached to it or a, or a country or a, an animal like we've heard in, in the past? I suppose I've heard a lot of countries and... Um, in particular, uh, our friend uh, in the United States, a particular president who um, d is still associating this with a particular area and is still blaming uh, China for a lot of the um, well, what's happening across the world now. And that, that's something that's still out there and still a problem. It is still a problem. Um, and I think the more that we um, try not to sort of, you know, allude to the fact where it's arisen from, I mean, this is this is almost certainly a global um, pandemic now we have um, infections in in every part of the world and in fact the US at the moment their numbers are, are incredibly high you know so you could quite easily say that transmission could easily happen from now the US back into China you know this this virus knows no borders and I think we really have to get to grips with that that, that viruses um you know, we, we, we can pretend that there's borders in countries, but people travel, um, people move around and we take these viruses with us. And the more we meet, you know, we have to be sensitive. You know, it's, it's not fair to label a country with, a, with, a, with an illness that actually, you know, they've done really well to, first of all, identify it, let us know about it and also manage it in, in their own country, you know, and now we're seeing that people from China are actually going to countries which are you know, highly affected by the virus to support with their response. And, and we're learning from their experience. So, yeah, I think you're absolutely right there, Catherine. You know, this is, you know, a global pandemic. It's a global effort is going to be needed to tackle it. But you mentioned there about responsibility, responsibility as a country, but also our individual responsibility, which probably brings us on to that more local action, which is the social distancing aspect of things. So what impact will social distancing have? Why is it important that we stay at home and how will that help, you know, flatten the curve? Yeah, so the principle behind social distancing is to stop transmission into the wider community. So um, we will accept that people will be in isolation at the moment if you have um, a coronavirus um, and we're asking them to stay home so that they don't go out and, and pass that to other people. Um, we accept that there will be um, households where the isolation isn't entirely possible. You know, they live with large families. Um, what we're asking is that if anybody in that family becomes symptomatic, is that everybody in that household stays home so that they don't risk that, that risk of meeting other people and transmitting that virus onwards. Um, it's... Uh, the plan would be that eventually we would hope that if we can stop transmission in the community, 
we should be able to um, slow the epidemic down. We might not be able to stop it completely, but by slowing it down, it buys us lots of time. It buys us time in terms of getting the hospital systems ready um, to accept you know, larger numbers of patients should it be required. It also gives us time to work out which treatments work. Um, it also gives us time then to look at, more importantly, probably a vaccine, um, because that's going to be a year down the line. So we need to make sure that everybody is, is responsible and, and, you know, does their best not to transmit this onwards. If you have symptoms, it, no matter how mild, just stay home. Another topic that we're seeing a lot of and a lot of people kind of, you know, asking a lot of questions of is why aren't we testing more? And I suppose as a virologist, you've got all of the answers to those questions. Um, you know, there's WHO guidance saying test, test, test. Um, but how does that work practically? Because obviously, you know, you need to have the capacity there to do the testing. You need to have the people available. Also, there needs to be an entire process in place. You know, where are we with testing and where are we going with testing? Well, there's no doubt that we will need to test more. Um, what we're struggling with at the moment is, if you can imagine, this is an infection that's in affecting the whole world. Our mainstay of testing is what we call molecular testing. So we're looking for small parts of the viral genome in all of our assays and our tests that we, we perform daily. Those reagents are highly specialised. They have to be um, very clean for us to be able to do the test and give reliable results. And unfortunately, they're in short supply. You know, the manufacturers um, are not used to having to deal with these kinds of numbers in terms of, of supply of reagents. Um, and so there's a global shortage in general. We are working as hard as we can to get as much supply into the countries to allow us to test more people. But we are limited by, by what we can get from the companies themselves. So, and, and this has been a problem from the very start. This is not something which has just happened. I mean, we're asking you know, commercial manufacturers to upscale to levels that they've never worked at before, you know, and the demand is, is huge. One of the things, Catherine, that, that in my day-to-day -day job and as a result of the Wellbeing of Future Generations Act that we have here in Wales, is that we ask our public bodies, we ask our Welsh Government ministers to think long term to try and prevent the things from happening. Give us an insight into how, how it is possible for us to prevent these things or at least prepare better for these things so that we are ready with tests or we are ready with these things or is it just impossible? I mean, you know, you're the expert. Tell us whether or not this thing could have been predicted or we could have been better prepared to face them. So, so we have um, preparedness plans in for pandemics, um, and most of those preparedness plans are around influenza. Um, as we know now, um, in, pandemics are not always caused by influenza. Influenza is just the one thing that we have. So we ha do have these plans, and we do have stocks um, which are prepared for, for the eventuality of the next influenza pandemic. However, what we've not quite... Um, got our heads around is the amount of testing that's required um, in in most um, pandemic scenarios we would test um, the the first few hundred people um, we'd get to a peak of the epidemic we would presume that everybody um, who has symptoms at the peak of an ep epidemic has the infection so the testing is no longer required because the, you know your clinical judgment would be good enough to diagnose and then as the pandemic uh, numbers come down we would start testing again to look for changes in the virus which might predict whether or not it's going to come back 
Um, that scenario has just been blown out of the window because this virus is presenting um, in various different ways. We're seeing mild um, cases, we're seeing severe cases, it's easily transmitted. Um, and, and again, the, the public um, are asking for tests. They want the tests. So we're being driven a lot by by public expectation as well as what you know the government are asking us to do. So the numbers game is, is very difficult to manage in, in that situation. And, and like I say, in, we've never had this kind of scenario. And, and certainly working with swine flu, um, we got to a point where you know we tested just the you know sentinel surveillance samples from the community, which gave us an idea of what was circulating in the community. But I don't think in this scenario we, that's going to be acceptable to the public. Yeah, and you're speaking about numbers then, again, about that usefulness for the public. How useful are kind of local stats to members of the public? Does it actually make much of a difference? You know, where are we at the moment in Wales? Um, you know, we've heard about the cluster in and you're in Bevan, but is there a need to have like a community breakdown per kind of council area or stuff like that? Do we necessarily need that or is there a much bigger picture we should be focusing on? Um, I, th- I think the council figures would help, you know, local local services to plan you know so and i know that that's something that public health wars are looking into doing now you, your risk is still very low to actually acquire the infection not everybody has it at the moment you know we do like i say we do have a cluster in, in one particular area of wales um but actually the rest of Wales is, is moderate levels um people are obviously becoming infected but the numbers are not like you know really high at the moment and i think once we have the social distancing uh, has come into play, we will see that slow down even more. So what I'm hoping to see is our numbers actually decreasing, you know, in the community. We may still see hospitalizations because like I say, we haven't stopped um, infections in homes, you know, so people may still get a severe illness and we will see those coming into the hospitals. Um, but we've also then turned our testing to the healthcare workers themselves in Wales. And that's that's potentially where the greatest risk is people who are going to be face to face with these people coming through the door and so we need to make sure that 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 healthcare resource is protected and that's the other thing i've heard quite often um on social media is uh will this return will we have it is it a seasonal thing um will it get worse during particular times of the year um is that true then so are we likely to is it likely to get better um, during the summer period, the, the warmer weather that we're going to, ha- to hopefully have even here in Wales? Um, we don't normally have hot weather here, do we? But that's the that's the, the hope this time around, this year. Um, explain a little bit about the temperature and the seasonal aspect, if you can. So what we tend to find with new viruses as they emerge, because they're coming into a population that doesn't have particularly good immunity, because it's our herd response which also stops some of this transmission, um, I don't think that we're going to see so much less transmission in, in warmer weathers. We're already seeing quite big outbreaks happening in countries where, you know, they, they do have warmer weather, you know, so it doesn't seem to be stopping them. So the population itself is, is also, you know, a, a big factor in all this. And so we have epidemics every year of our seasonal viruses, they go away, but then of course we've got immunity as well helping that, seasonality helps that. But when pandemics happen, all of those rules just go out of the window. So we can't absolutely guarantee that we're going to see a reduction during the summer months. And certainly without the social distancing, we may still see transmission all the way through the year. So it's the social distancing which is really really going to slow this down. 
and and I accept that once we stop social distancing, social isolation, and we all come out in, in a few months' time, um, we may see a resurgence of the infection because I don't think we're going to get rid of it completely. You know, there's, it looks like at the moment we've got so many outbreaks occurring around the world that it, there's always chance for reintroduction at any point. Gwen, in terms of getting prepared for that resurgence or indeed kind of tackling it now, um, I suppose one important kind of way of doing that would be um, vaccination or finding some sort of uh, cure. Um, so where are we? Where are where are we with that? You know, we're hearing kind of drips and drabs from across the world. There's some stuff going on in Australia, China. This seems like there's a big race at the moment for countries to kind of be the first one to find a cure. How likely are they to share it if they find one? And kind of are we doing our own specific work around this area as well? Yeah, so in terms of treatment, um, we uh, there are a number of clinical trials already um, in, in line to look at the various options which have been put forward by people in China and Italy in particular. Um, so those, those um, clinical trials are about to start. So Wales is going to be involved in some of those. Um, the WHO have um, put forward a protocol for, you know, various treatment arms, which people will be um, put into to see which one of the um, treatments which have been proposed will actually work. Um, and, you know, so that that is happening in terms of a vaccine. That's really where we want to get to. Um, and so there are a number of companies who are already out there um, who already got uh, vaccines, you know, worked up. They're already going into trial. They, they just need to be safe before we give them to the general population. Um, and, and like I say, it will take about a year um, potentially for one of these vaccines to actually, you know, reach the population. So it's really important that we just slow down this transmission. Cool. And so, you know, when we get to the point of having kind of created that vaccination, would it be a similar process of kind of prioritising those at greater risk in our society? So those with existing medical conditions, elderly people, um, young children, is that going to be a similar process like we see with flu and the beat flu campaign here in Wales? I, I expect that will be the way forward. Um, we're not going to see mass amounts of vaccine being produced. And again, we're going to have a global request for this vaccine to be made available. You know, so it's not just going to be the people of Wales who are going to get you know, this vaccine. So we're going to have to probably think about who we want to immunise first. Um, and it's likely to be uh, frontline healthcare workers. It will be likely to be the people who are at more risk of severe illness um, getting with the vaccine first and then obviously as as production is is increased we can perhaps look at immunizing wider people and it may turn out that you know as we go on with this epidemic we recognize that the vast majority of people actually just have a very mild illness and it is just those people that fall into the flu categories that actually will require immunization going forward we there's still much that we have to learn about the the you know the epidemiology of this virus. Wow, um, that all seems like a way, way off. Um, but I suppose, what what is it? What would be your key bit of advice for us? What do we need to be doing now? What what can people do to help make a difference? What's the best bit of advice you'd give to somebody to, on the street? Take your advice. Wash your hands. Um, where you can isolate yourselves. Don't beat yourselves up if you live with people and you can't have two meter rules um, or if you work in an environment where you can't have two meter rules, that's fine as well. Just make sure that your personal hygiene is is good. Be really self-aware about your own health. 
um, if you have a tickly throat, isolate yourselves for a few hours, even to see if that progresses. Um, you know, so be, be more self-aware than you ever have been. There we go. There's the sound advice from, from our resident expert. I just noticed, uh, as I was thinking there, here you said on the streets, we shouldn't be seeing anybody on the streets. No advice to anybody on the streets currently. They should be home, self-isolating. I'm, I'm about to go out on the streets. <laughs> Some of us are out there. That's true. That's very true. Um, Catherine, thank you so much for, for educating us on the advice, um, the, the science behind uh, COVID-19. I have definitely learned um, a, a few things there. Um, and we have the pleasure of having you as a guest, hopefully on our future episodes, to give us those updates, to keep reminding us of those, uh, those advice and guidance that's coming from, from, uh, from the series of different experts that we have out there. So thank you so much, Catherine. So some incredible information and pieces of advice there from Catherine. Um, I certainly know from previous conversations I've had with her, I always feel a lot more intelligent after them. Um, the great thing about Catherine is that she's not only very intelligent, but she's also very relatable. And I think we really need more people like Catherine out there speaking to others. And she's done a great job of explaining and breaking down some of that jargon, but also kind of you know showing how serious this is, um, because it is a very serious issue. And, and it's not going to, something that's going to disappear overnight. So it's something we're all going to be working through together and something that we need to see that solidarity that we keep talking about in. I, I think it's going to be really important. You know, we've started today to discuss um, the advice there, the science. And now we're going to be going into those issues that are going to be of importance to all our communities across Wales with all those different topics that we mentioned earlier in the programme. She's uh, giving us a, a good start, I think, and I'm looking forward to having Catherine back on, on our podcast in the future as well. Here, what a week we've had. We have had our first week of lockdown. We've even had the Prime Minister testing positive. Uh, it seems that it can hit anybody at any time, even, even the Prime Minister. Uh, and we've even had the Olympics, one of the biggest sporting events in the calendar, being postponed it's starting to get real, isn't it, Hugh? Yeah, and I think, you know, the more we see these mainstream events and these kind of very recognisable people um, being impacted by COVID-19, I think the more people understand the seriousness of the situation. And especially around the Prime Minister as well, there's been a lot of controversy this week. And whilst I understand, you know, it does seem that it's all about class and, you know, having the money it's you know we have to take it into consideration he is the prime minister just think of the people that he meets with on a daily basis and um, you know if we lose half the cabinet how are we supposed to be responding to this crisis you know if we lose the economy minister if we lose people in transport if we lose the people taking care of the health service how are we supposed to operate and if we're not operating it's going to give the disease a chance to spread even further so let's think less about who's being tested and actually think more about the things we're doing individually Let's let's act like we have COVID because we don't know if we have it or not. There are thousands out there who won't know. And yes, they should be tested at some point. But for now, let's behave like we have it and protect other people. There we go. We've had some advice there from Catherine from Public Health Wales. And we've had it from our very own Hugh from Public Health Wales as well. I feel outnumbered by our Public Health Wales guests uh, and co-hosts this week. Um, we'll sort that out for the, next, for the rest of the, the podcast, I'm sure. There we go, Hugh. Good advice. Let's beat this thing. Well, that's all we've got time for on this episode. Thank you so much, Catherine. I can't wait to have you join us again. Best of luck with the week ahead. Stay safe, stay at home and look out for each other. <laughs>
Yes, thank you, Catherine, and thank you, listeners. If you enjoyed this week's episode, make sure you rate and subscribe, and you can join the conversation on our Twitter at curve underscore podcast using the hashtag hashtag flatten the curve podcast. We hope you join us next week as we continue our attempts to flatten the curve.